Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to have a chat with Keith. So, Keith, if you can tell me when, where you were born, if you can describe to me what it was like where you grew up, the schools you went to, and the education that you received. Thanks, Tim. Uh, thanks for having me on today. Um, yeah, I'm a... Uh... I'm Canadian, so I was uh, just born uh, north of Toronto in Ontario, Canada, in the great year of 1979. Do the math, the gray hair might fool you how old I am. Uh, grew up uh, in a bit of a, uh, a modern family uh, of today, maybe not so much back in the uh, late 70s and uh, 80s, but uh, um, there was myself and uh, I have uh, four other siblings. So well, with my parents, it would be seven of us. And um, even though we came from uh, different uh, different points in uh, our parents' life, uh, we all grew up together. So seven of us growing up, all within five years. So uh, there was lots of uh, time where we had, uh, sorry, my daughter was <laughs> getting through there. Um, <laughs> um so yeah, so there was. I uh, grew up with five of us within five years. Uh, my uh, oldest sisters, and then I had a identical twin brother. If, uh, the world can believe that. There's two of me out there. Uh, although Great. since I since I came out first, I always tell people I bugged my brother growing up that uh, the carbon copy wasn't as pure. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or as clever, or as funny. <laughs> yeah, you know, just a couple degrees off. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, so I grew up uh, in a small town and uh, through high school and into college, um, made the decision early on that I recognized uh, policing being something that I kind of wanted to be a part of, wanted to be uh, somebody uh, that was there to help the community, protect my family, and um, did, uh, did everything I could um, to align myself by putting all my eggs in my basket pretty much early on to uh, focus on policing being the career. So uh, once I got through college, uh, worked in, uh, you know, security, mm. um, trying to get that job experience uh, leading up to uh, being hired by the service. Ah, so what? So obviously you made that kind of decision way back in kindergarten then. Um, yeah, I, it was in uh, my teenage years that uh, I uh, really decided that uh, policing was going to be um, what I wanted to do. Um, again, it, it, it kind of came uh, from a, a place of wanting to protect my family, um, making sure that uh, no one would ever hurt them. And, uh, you know, hopefully being that kind of one, you know, guy in uniform, I had some... Uh, some officers that uh, were, I guess, would be like community um, outreach liaison officers that came into the high school. And they were always cool, you know, working out with us, playing basketball, just wanted to have spent time with us. And so uh, I figured uh, that uh, they were pretty inspirational and in wanting to meet uh, the uh, be a police mm. officer. I still remember the officer's name, Officer Mo. Uh, was his name. And uh, yeah, I, I think I think he's a sergeant now. He could be higher than a, a sergeant now in, uh, right. in York Regional Police. But uh, Officer Mo, he was my guy. Yeah. So anyway, let's take you a little bit further back. So can you remember much about your kindergarten before you moved up into sort of the, the junior school? Gosh, we're diving deep into the history of oh, uh, yeah. childhood. Whoa. This, this is kind of important. This is kind of what wow. sets out your store for where you get to. Yeah, I uh, I, I, I remember um, being in kindergarten, not a lot. Um, I did go to uh, one public school, but then after kindergarten, uh, transferring to uh, a middle school where I completed um grades one to five before going into junior high um yeah i think my favorite sandwich in that time frame was uh 
jam and cheese. Uh, don't ask me why I I <laughs> ate it with strawberry jam with processed orange cheese. I look at it today it being, being the most disgusting thing in the world. But every day I sat next to a kid who had a ketchup sandwich. And yeah, that was my lunch buddy. I don't remember his or her name, but I remember this kid having a ketchup sandwich and me having a jam and cheese sandwich and kids looking at us like we were really weird. So sticking together, that's what we did. Huh. Right. Cheese possessed, was it? Come I, I don't tin. know. I, I could have it. Uh, yeah, it was like that uh, that orange cheese that you peel, the peel out of the wrapper, right? Yeah, like craft cheese single. Um, <laughs> but I remember one day eating it every day. I just wanting it every day. And then one day walking out to the vehicle, eating it and looking at it and being like, this is the most disgusting thing ever. I, I'm not enjoying it anymore. And I ended up I meet and the friend dropped it and never ate it ever again. Have you even thought about it? Just dropped it cold turkey. Wow. So, so was your 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 brother, your your younger brother, in the same class as you? Yeah, I know my my twin brother. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I uh, well, he's younger well younger, you, yeah, you seven and a half minutes, yeah, yeah. seven and a half minutes, <laughs> never forgets it. Um, yeah, so we were together um, in kindergarten, but I know growing up in school, um, up until we were in high school, we were never in the same. Um, class. We never had the same teacher. Um, even though anyone who ever talks to me now before the first thing they ask me is how you're doing. And then, Hey, how's your brother doing? How's your twin brother doing? Um, my parents tried to get us as being as separate as possible. Um, mm. uh, you know, we didn't, uh, dress alike, although we had similar interests, um, you know, competing in sports and stuff. We were very, um, you know, we'd be on the same teams for that. But uh, as far as like dressing up the same, um, no, that was something that we, we, we did. My, we didn't practice. Did you look identical? We do. And uh, it, it's and, so... And did you ever swap classes? So, yes, we did. <laughs> we got it. We got immediately burned. Uh, it didn't last longer than us trying to get into each other's lines to get into school. I think it was grade three or four. We got busted right away. Um, so <laughs> during our, our yearly early years, we didn't get a lot of fun with it, but not trying. Um, there was times that once we got working, um, we were working uh, at two different hospitals. So we did security for the same security company. Um, Cause at a time I, I, I do believe he was trying to make it a go, trying to get into the services. Um, but he worked at one hospital. I worked at the other and we had paramedics and nursing because a lot of with the paramedics would go to the same hospitals mm. um, and nursing staff. If they didn't work, you know, full time at one site, they worked part time at the other. And they were always like, man, I saw you over at, uh, you know, this hospital. Why, <laughs> why were you so grumpy that day? I'm like, I don't work there. They're like, yeah, I do. I totally walked up to you. And you look like you didn't even know me. I'm like, oh, you, you met my twin brother. You met my twin brother. Or like, yeah, you're always so happy when you're here. And I never got a chance to, to, to ask this, but why are you so happy here? And you're so grumpy there. Like you just have a better time working here. I'm like, yeah, that's me. That's my twin brother. Um, and uh, it, it got even um, funnier when I got on because uh, my brother, I'm doing some security work uh, for a, a major league baseball team up here, the Toronto Blue Jays. So uh, when I was working, I know we're getting ahead of the cart here, but uh, the, we, I had people like supervisors um, that, uh, that would like accost my brother for working secondary employment without authorization from the chief of police. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he... Cause they, 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 they look at him and like, he looks just like me. Why is this guy standing on the field dressed in like blue Jay security gear and working the field? Like he's a cop. He can't be doing this. And he'd play right into it. Right. He'd play. And he's like, well, you know, uh, I can't get a pay duty here to work policing. So, you know, I can't get overtime. I got to make my money. And he just have some supervisors fit, uh, <laughs> fit for a straight jacket over some of it. So even though we didn't have a lot of fun growing up with it, since we've got a little bit older, unbeknownst to us, uh, it's kind of played our hands, so we've had a little bit of fun with it. Hmm. So, middle school then, how did that go? So, being really, uh, um, I, I would say, athletic, um, growing up, 
the sport of choice in uh, in my house for pretty much our, our family was track and field, even though um, my uh, my oldest sister was very heavily involved in um, theater and dance. Um, we did we did track and field um, and I ran competitive track from uh, the age of nine till uh, about 1920 is when I started uh, competing um, on a, uh, on a, on a, you know, national scale and international. Um, Cause the, the dream was at one point um, to go to the Olympics in the 1500 meter uh, and then, you know, retire and be a sports broadcaster um, mm. and do interviews. I thought that would be the coolest job in the world to have. Um, but yeah, so, you know, um, it was, it was all sports. It was all sports. And, uh, you know, if there was a, a school sports, whenever volleyball came out or basketball, cross country track, you name it. Um, I was trying out for it and, uh, and playing it. Um, but, mm. uh, kept me, uh, kept me pretty much out of trouble a lot, um, doing track and field because, uh, one thing I think my, my parents always used to tell me like, well, if you want to be fast, you can't smoke and you can't drink. So, and I was like, well, yeah, I want to be the fast. I'm, I'm running, I'm training to be the fastest I can. So if this is going to hurt me from be, getting to be faster, then I just can't do it. So it really kind of never, uh, even was, uh, a thought, even though when it was, sometimes it was presented, I was like, Oh man, that's going to slow me down. I gotta, I got, I'm always in training. So, um, when kids were out doing mischievous things, my, uh, my part of being fun was grabbing my best friend, um, evidently who is a firefighter now. And, uh, we would go for like a 10 K run or, uh, on the weekend, if there was like a half, like a half marathon or, some sort of grueling race in the city. Like, Hey, want to go, want to go run 8k through the downtown core or 10k? They're giving up t-shirts. Uh, oh yeah. I can get a free t-shirt to run this race. Sure. Let's go do it. Right <laughs> now. It seems you get a medal for everything. Every time you run a race somewhere, you get a medal before yeah. it was t-shirts, man. They're just showing up and getting that t-shirt. <laughs> so, uh, I had a question there. What was the question? Rugby. Did you get into rugby at all? Cause uh, I mean, that they they kind of do that in Canada, don't they? They got a national team. They do, and uh, yeah, they got. Uh, we, I know we had it in our high school. I never really got into it because when rugby was on, it was full on track season. So I was really competing um, more so, uh, focusing on the athletics and track. Um, I did play uh, high school football into um, early. Um, you know, uh, summer ball, uh, for some private clubs. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, looking back, not that I, uh, I did not enjoy playing football. Um, it did take me away from my athletics, um, competing, uh, especially at the distance that I was specializing in, which is the 1500. Um, it, uh, it was kind of counterproductive. The, the more time I was doing time playing football, doing short sprints, um, it was kind of taken away from that training, but, uh, all good. Can't go back in time. No, I say uh, doing short sprints and, and distance work don't really go together unless the, you, you're doing the sprints at the end of a long run. <laughs> I did. I- and I did have a kick. That's the one thing that uh, uh, I could never put together on a race, right? I was always a smart runner where I didn't really lead from the front. I was kind of middle, but sometimes I dropped myself too far back in the pack. And then the last, my usually my last lap was faster than my first, uh, which you want. Um, but it wasn't enough because I had let too much distance go. So I was always, you know third, fourth, never quite at the top of the podium when it came to certain uh, events just because I had given too much uh, ground to get up. But yeah, the kick that mm. there is something to chase as far as um, uh, a bit of a, an adrenaline, a bit of uh, a junkie when it comes to somebody who does athletics and having that feeling of that final kick sprint. Um, it's, a, it's a feeling where you're just mowing people down as you're passing them. In a, in a state that it's undescribable, and and when you're in it, it's it feels like nothing else is better in the world when you're in that that, that running state. Um, and I think yeah. a lot of uh, runners um, can uh, empathize and uh, and uh, identify what that feeling is. It's hard to describe, but when you're in that state, it's uh, it's something like no other. Yeah, I guess 
I guess rugby would have been a good choice for you for the distance running because you're constantly running <laughs> in rugby. Yeah. I mean, especially, especially if you're a small guy like me that plays scrum half, you're constantly running trying to keep up with the ball. <laughs> if they keep passing yeah. that, you've got you've yeah. got to get in there to, to recycle the ball every time. So, <laughs> yeah. I would be like so a scrum half does I... nothing but run. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be like one of those wingman guys. I don't know if I would um, consider myself part of the scrum, um, although I think there's a, a, a position in rugby that's called the hooker. Uh, I don't know if that's quite yeah, you wouldn't want to be the these days. He, he, don't want to be the hooker. He's the one that's he's in the middle. Yeah. yeah. He's the one right in the middle of the scrum. Well, you, and you're probably running my life. No equipment, or no a, helmet. A wing. <laughs> yeah. Just give me the ball and just I'd run because I I mean trying to tackle with no equipment on I'd just be like no try to run as fast as I could like I was set on fire somewhere. Yeah. So going into high school, let's have a look at your high school. What so, so you concentrated on your track and field. What about the off season? What did you do in the off season? Um. Let's well. I mean, when you had cross country and then you went indoors for indoor track and then you came outside for the spring and ran outdoors, there really wasn't, I say, a true off season. You're always just kind of um, moving to one distance or so. Um, um, we, uh, we were fortunate to live close to uh, one of the universities in Toronto. Uh, that wasn't a, too far of a drive. So we would go there you know, two, three times a weekend train indoors at the university um, and have our indoor competitions. And then once, you know, the snow melts, which in Canada is, you know, shortly before July when all the ice thins out, <laughs> no, we, we, our, our, our snow uh, melts well before then, but uh, we would move outdoors and do outdoor right until the fall. And then when fall picked in, you were right into cross country and then playing football, um, yeah. That, so there wasn't really any time off, which was good because, again, it kind of kept me out of trouble and stuff and was always keeping me active. Um, I don't know if uh, the grocery bill at home, uh, my parents were in favor of always burning calories and always having to eat. I don't know if I could <laughs> uh, could afford that, especially nowadays with prices going up. I have a little guy, so if he's anything half as me, it's going to be start putting the uh, funds towards that grocery bill now so I can afford it. <laughs> Yeah, start saving for for a mortgage for the next for the next minute. Right. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and it's not for any sort of property. It's just for the grocery bill because I can imagine like the amount of food I can recall eating uh, as a kid through high school. Um, you know, having two or three friends come over and polishing off a box of forty hamburgers on the barbecue wasn't <laughs> wasn't a problem, right? <laughs> so who comes home and eats ten hamburgers? This guy right yeah. here, right? <laughs> <laughs> One, so we, one's okay. So were you in ever competition with your brother? Everything was a competition with my brother. Like everything. Um, <laughs> I mean, to the to eating our food, oh my god, to you know, going from one place to the other, like everything was a competition. But um my brother was more into the sprints. Um, so as I grew out of the sprint distance and got more into um you know, the 815, uh, that's when we became kind of uh, competing separately. So, but no, going through like, you know, the early years of our, our track and field and um, into um, public school and stuff, we were in grade school. Uh, we were very much um, uh, competitive in everything as far as uh, 100 meters, um, you name it. Um, never beat me. He, 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 there's a few, few times he, there's a kind of practice and stuff like that. We would, and he'd have me, but never in a meet, never, ever, ever <laughs> beat me in a meet ever. I can hold that over his head. I mean, he knows it. That knows it's like edge being the older brother, I suppose. <laughs> you, you know, I, I don't think it was just much of being older is that, you know, um, I think, a part of me knew like my brother was probably faster than me. Like it, he was, he was probably faster, but um, I, I felt that I just made the dedication and an application to, uh, to training. Um, 
where mm-hmm. sometimes he had a lot of natural talent and uh, thought that uh, he could maybe get by with that. But uh, I guess that's the one thing, even though if you have natural abilities, you still have to put the work in. And that's one thing I always seem to do is put in the work. And he just mm. close, super close <laughs> at times. But nope, <laughs> never, never took me over. Never took me over. I hope, I hope at one point he gets to see this because, uh, yeah, ribbing him at, at 43, I can still rib him. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so what was your your best subject in school other than track and field then? <laughs> uh, none of them. Um, I don't really <laughs> – and, and, and it's not that I didn't enjoy school. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, I think um, – the way that I have now at my stage of my life learned and recognized how uh, I best receive information to how I am able to um, basically uh, digest information and, and teach myself and learn. Um, it's not what schools were offering at the time. So I, I didn't really like a lot of subjects. Um, uh, I do enjoy geography. Um, but as far as like going to school and liking it, no, school was always pretty tough for me. I always had to work double hard um, or sometimes triple hard just to kind of get the C's um, mm. to get by. Um, but as I tell kids who who are, are, are passing these days, not not that I don't want them to achieve everything, but I do tell them that, you know, uh, two jokes I make C's get degrees. You get it. You can get a degree at getting a C and uh, you know, I don't know how much you'd want to deal with them, but you know, they, what do they call the, uh, the lowest uh, person or what do they call uh, the person who gets the lowest mark in medical school? A doctor, right? So they're all doctors. They're all doctors. I don't know if any doctor puts up what they got, you know, in grade 12 science or whatever or whatever, but the diploma is on the wall and Hey, they're a doctor. Uh, again, yeah. you know, you can choose a deal from or not. Um, but, um, you know, um, I think, I think there's just more, uh, ways to go about learning life, kind of experiencing life, getting employments, getting jobs, than you know, being in that traditional classroom environment. Um, cause even when I got into policing, um, you know, you were sent off to the police college for three months and I, I mean, that was at, 25 years old I went out there 25 26 and I even at that time really struggled so I was like oh my god just like can we just make this practical and get, like I, I just I can't do the hard book study stuff like I can I'll read mm. I enjoy reading I love doing that but like sitting in a classroom environment attached to a desk sitting down is something I don't excel at um, but if you get into uh, applying it, you know, whether it be, um, you know, dynamic situations, driving, you know, shooting, you know, take the information, actually do it. I'm I feel that's where I can showcase, uh, my abilities to retain information better than just sitting there being told and dictated information (laughs) and told you have to learn this. And it's like, no, it's a fishbowl, like water's going in, water's coming out and I'm losing how to do everything. Yeah, I suppose you have to do a certain amount of um, knowing the law and specific stuff. That that's the, the classroom stuff, and then the rest of it all comes down to um, the practical skills that you need. Yeah. So, did when you when you graduated high school, did you go to college? Not right away. Um, I uh, I took a year off and uh, put a little folding money in the pocket, you know, tried to uh, get enough money so that I could pay for school. Um, you know, coming from a family of seven and other siblings, um, you know, you kind of had to make your own, which is fine. There, there, there's there's no traumatic healing needed from that. You just, you wanted something, you go after it and you, you know, you pay for it, which is fine. Cause I think, you know, like anything, if you, if you, if you pay for something uh, that you bought your own, you're going to take care of it a little bit better. If you're making that investment in yourself, you might appreciate a little bit rather than it being gifted to you and not really understanding um, the work that goes in to actually being there to do it. Um, so when I was in school, yeah, it was all it, right? So um, little adjustment sitting back in school, but by the time I was done, I had just missed the Dean's list. Like I was, you know, this is what I really wanted to do. So I made it, you know, 
uh, fully immerse myself in, you know, proper study habits, um, you know, leaning on people that had better grades than me to, um, to be their study buddies, you know, kind of mm-hmm. recognize like, who's a smart one in the class? Well, this person know what they're doing. I'm going to sit next to them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so, um, went to a two year, um, uh, college out here in Durham, uh, where I, where I am now, uh, in the, in the region here and did the, the police foundation program here before I got on. And then, uh, yeah, it, it, it was good. I didn't get tired right away after college, but, uh, it got me access to being, um, in, uh, the security industry at uh, a higher level, uh, because I had that, uh, training background. Mm. So how, what was involved in that sort of, um, college course then? What, what do they, you, what sort of things were they covering? You know, it was very similar to, uh, when I went out to the police college, um, after I got hired, um, uh, by my service, um, it was just basically throwing the law at you. Right. Um, showing you, making sure you knew how to write reports. Um, there was physical component, um, you know, doing the provincial stats, you know, criminal code, um, learning all that stuff. I know there was, uh, uh, some, uh, indigenous studies and stuff that we did as well to understand different cultures and, um, uh, you know, cultural sensitivity and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that was good. Like that, that was all good. But I know the one thing, um, that I, I make a point now when I, when I get into speaking with kids going through the process who are at the collegiate level or whatnot is to really have that whole wellness, um, uh, mm-hmm. aspect that you needs to be learned. Um, I always ask kids when, uh, when they're, uh, when they're sitting and stuff, like, you know, if they're talking to somebody about, um, their, their welfare or how they're feeling and stuff. And they're like, no, I'm like, well, if this is what you're going to be getting yourself into, you, it's something you need to learn now beforehand, like all our training and stuff and muscle memory. Um, you know, it, it's ingrained to us at, at, at such a rate and pace, um, which is good, uh, because we are able to rely on those training, those abilities in times of stress without having to know because the muscle memory is already kicked in. Um, mm. I think a lot of times, um, if we're able to implement a lot of healthy things as far as our, our, our wellness, uh, to that extent of muscle memory, then we're already, you know, picking that up at times of stress and doing it bef- before we even know that we're doing it because it's just a, a state that, uh, or a habit, uh, that you've built in. Mm. So, you got into police college then at the age of 25. Yeah, 25, 26, and uh, did not did not enjoy it. I, I Even though <laughs> I had – no, it, 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 it's, it's funny that I say that. It, it comes off as a joke, but truly, I, I, I did not enjoy my time um, uh, when I was out there because, um, uh, again, a lot of it was – you know, know the law, know the law, know the law, sitting in classrooms. We had a lot of practical stuff, but I always felt that, um, you know, there were, there was officer safety moments that could have been taught that they just were missing the boat on. Um, Mm. and I, I was more, um, of the belief that, okay, it's good that I know all that you need to know the law and memorize certain things and to, to know when you can act and when you can't act. Like this is so critical, but those books are going to be available to me. Like who knows the section or the subsection for a certain charge. Like we know what, a, what assault is. We know what a mischief is. We know the general rules of it to, to get down to it, to know what, you know, you know, one for one forty-four section one sub A sub I <laughs> double. You know, like I don't know those off the top of my head, but I can access a book and know it, right? But yeah. really, kind of getting the point of like, you know, how truly officers conduct themselves, how somebody in the service uh, is to somebody in, in, of the public. Because I, I honestly feel, and I've said this through my entire career, this is why I take such uh, 
a position of pride of when I have interactions with members of the public that I just don't do it for myself. I do it for the guy after me or the girl after me because I want someone to leave the conversation with me knowing they're like, okay, you know what? That was a really nice police officer. That guy was really nice. So that mm. the next time that per, that officer approaches that person, it could be for asking them for help or um, there to help them. Um, they're going to give that grace, that five seconds of openness of their mind and their heart to that mm. other officer. If I leave that interaction with that person and I have, you know, belittled them and made them feel horrible. How do you think they're going to treat the next officer? Right. Yeah. They're going to be on them before they can even open their mouth because the last guy I dealt with was horrible. So this person is going to be as horrible or I'm expecting that treatment. And I just don't think enough was done um, overall um, mm. because a lot of times, you, you know, and it wasn't just, you know, uh, a lot of the services are like, well, you're going to go out there and you're going to learn how they do it at the provincial, right? They have to be, we have to go to the, uh, the police college uh, under um, the police uh, mandate here in the province to be trained at the provincial level, but you're going to come back and then we're going to tell you how it's really done. And mm. uh, they have a lot of internal training and stuff for your individual services. And a lot of times uh, you, you can hear from other guys that works for other services are like, well, why are you training me this? Because I just know when I go back, I'm going to be retrained or retold how to do it a different way. Um, and, you know, that sometimes can murky the water, too, because there has to be a standard. Right. It can't be like, well, this is a standard and then we're going to treat, treat, train you somewhere different. No, no. Like this is a standard. Keep it one way consistently. Right. So that. You know, when you go to McDonald's, you know that hamburger or that cheeseburger is going to be made the same way every single time, right? That level yeah. of consistency, right? I mean, I don't know who likes McDonald's hamburgers, but I'm just saying, like, you do, <laughs> it's going to be the same way every time. I'm yeah. not a fan, but it's the same way every single time, right? Um, well, that's, that's what the they did with the British Army. So the British okay. Army, they, they they did that. They, they standardized the um, junior NCO Carter and the senior NCOs Carter across the piece. So everybody goes and does exactly the same course, taught the same level. Um, so you've got that consistency and the, the rules were applied to everybody the same. If you pass the test, uh, you'll get promoted. If you can't pass the, the test, then you don't. Simple as that. Um uh, but they standardised it across the the whole piece, which okay. works, which makes us the best in the world, obviously. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I guess if I was a military guy, I might invoke a response there, but I, I'm sure there's a few guys that I know that are close to me like, why didn't you say this? Or why didn't you stick up for your Canada and the military? This way? I'm like, I'm not a service guy. I wish, like, don't get me wrong. Like, there was a time that I, uh, we're, we're I didn't want to join. We're known the world over for being the best in the world. End of story. The British Army is the best in the world. End of story. There's no argument there. There's no, no okay. comeback. Well, uh, <laughs> we set a level for everybody to come up to. Right, right, right. Just do the chin-ups, right? You're just almost yeah. there. Almost there for the chin-up <laughs> level. Yeah, yeah. Not quite. Not quite, but yeah. <laughs> so there you go. So how long was you in training for with the police? So uh, we did uh, uh, three or four weeks in-house at our at the, like the at the training at our, our service and then went out to the the Ontario Police College for three months and then came back for an additional five weeks before we hit the road so uh, from the time I got hired um, in uh, December I was on the road in May uh, and from that you're on with like a, a training officer for uh, a period of time of uh, 10 to 15 weeks doing um, being coached yeah. on the road. Yeah. Out on the beat, as they say. Out on the yeah. beat. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, so look, maybe having a more, car, maybe having a car. Yeah, it's more on the job training, I, I guess, where, where you, where you'd learn to be a proper police officer. You're learning from an experienced officer um, that's already 
in that training environment, I guess. Yeah, the, 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 the phrase was always uh, told to us, I can remember as a, as a rookie or, or a boot, was that uh, it's time to shit or get off the pot, right? I, I'm sure it might be yeah. a military term as well, but get, <laughs> you, shit, get off the pot. If you're going to do it, do it. Get out or get off. Like, you got to go. Like, it, like it's uh, it's pretty fast. You know, when you, when you get on the road, you're realizing immediately that the person you're with, that life is in your hands and vice versa. They have your life in their hands. And, um, you know, uh, I had this, uh, this this vet at the time that came that was a uh, uh, senior guy he was you know 30 something years on when i got when i got on and he had three rules in policing um was uh ensure his first, when he wrote with him uh his rules were uh ensure your partner uh, returns to their family safely uh the second rule was return you ensure you return to your family uh, safely at the end of the shift. And rule number three is to see rules one and two. Like that was it for him. Like just ensure mm-hmm. like everything else will work itself out. Like courts will work themselves out. Paperwork will work itself out. Like his whole thing was making sure that safety was key. Um, and cause that was the most important thing. So it's somebody that I, you know, recognize and, uh, identified early on that someone I could really kind of confine in and learn from and really want to kind of see as, uh, almost as a mentorship of how they did it because, um, my values of, uh, ensuring that that safety requirement, uh, was always, uh, being, um, uh, on the, on the forefront of your thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's very much um, buddy buddy looking after you, each other to be able to protect the, the, the general public better by looking after yourselves. And, and I guess that's, that's kind of instilled into the British military is um, when we're doing pre-deployment training, it's working as a team, it's looking after your buddies, it's, it's making sure that everybody in your, your patrol is safe. Um, even in a hostile environment, it's it's that buddy-buddy system. You don't leave anybody behind. You, you, your drills and your skills all come into play and, and that's where we come into being the best in the world because the way we do it. And I guess it's the same for you guys. It, it, with with him, is it's if 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 you if you're not looking after each other, something goes pee tong. You can't deal with the situation. You can't be effective. And that's that's a key lesson to learn, I guess. Yeah, and it's one again. It's learned uh, pretty quick, pretty mm. quick that. Uh, regardless of your you know thoughts or feelings you might have personally for somebody that all kind of ends when you get into in the car and you make it about the work um you don't have to really like the person you kind of work with sometimes i know there's many times that i'm sure people felt the same way me they're like oh my god i'm stuck with keith today uh uh, uh, partner switch please can i get somebody else um but always making it like it's it's the call we're gonna do the call and if we don't have to talk in between We'll do the call and, you know, there doesn't have to be like, hey, how you doing, how your family is, all that stuff. But when time comes for the call, just switch in then and then that's fine. We can switch out after that. So let's um, let's move on a little bit. Now, your your mission in life is to to look at highlighting mental health within the service, I guess. Yeah. How about how are you going about that? Um, really, from uh, from a point of lived experience, um, because of my policing career, um, I was exposed to uh, quite a few uh, uh, traumas and traumatic events, and um, things that I really had a hard time dealing with. Um, early on in my career, um, you know, we are getting to a point now, I think uh, overall within services, within, uh, at, at a world level of recognizing the importance of talking about our feelings, talking about if something is not, um, okay. If you're struggling with something, I think there's more of an awareness. Um, it's really implementing 
the strategies and tools and getting the training to members who are working, especially first responders and military, so that, you know, like I was referring back to earlier, that muscle memory training mm-hmm. so that when times of stress do occur, we're able to automatically go to that file of, 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 of good, of that, that fountain of, of tools that are able there to support and assist us. And also being that person for somebody else, if we recognize it in them or if somebody comes to us. Um, so yeah. And, uh, you know, I was uh, at a point uh, in 2017, 2018, where I was really um, seeking that, that, that support, trying to get off the road. Uh, majority of my career was spent in the patrol cars, being in uniform. That's why I signed up. I remember seeing the posters and the recruiting. Can you fill this uniform? Are you able to... Are you able to fill this uniform? Was a cat the tagline, and I had a picture of the uniform, and I was like, "Yeah, I can fill that uniform. Like, I can, I can represent that that uniform and what it represents, um, and what I feel that represents." Um, so I remember like asking quietly. I say that quietly because a lot of times when someone's struggling with mental health, we don't want to kind of put out a bumper sticker or any sort of lights because a lot of times, you know, dealing with policing and you come out and say that you have mental health problems that mm-hmm. can result in you being in handcuffs brought to the hospital. And although yeah. maybe at times I should have, I was at the clinical level, I could have, I could have been in those environments, but I knew even though, um, that was the type of help I needed. I knew that wasn't going to be something that would benefit me. I wouldn't gain anything from being dragged away in handcuffs into a hospital to get help. I just wanted mm. the help um, and thought I could deal with it, like still working, but like maybe off the road doing some admin stuff. Um, yeah. And was really surprised um, when I kind of got that, um, that letdown, that sanctuary trauma of being denied that time and space to come off the road, even though I was asking for it, I was always mm. uh, told that I was too valuable or there was, you know, staffing issues where we were too low and, you know, we couldn't let you go for free. I can't let you go for free. I remember getting told all the time, you can't let you go for free. And at one point mm. I was like, if you got offered right now in a trade, a bag of pucks, I would take that deal because I feel a bag of pucks is more valuable to the people, the citizens <laughs> that I work in the community than I am right now because I'm tapped out. I cannot do it anymore. And uh, left, left myself with a, a decision um, recalling my last day, uh, in the patrol car on the road, um, where it was me and a note and that's how they were going to find me. Um, <clears throat> I was just at the point where I felt I had exhausted all avenues to ask for help and being told time and time again, no, or now's not the time or, being felt more that I was a number rather than a, a human. Um, mm. You know, that gets your mind talking quite a bit of crap to you. Um, and uh, that's how they're going to find me uh, was uh, in the patrol car with this note of, of everybody who let me down. And mm. uh, I kind of had a, a, a moment of clarity and I say clarity um, because I'm very grateful for that because it made me make the decision to drive back to the station and surrender everything, not knowing if I was ever going to be a police officer ever again and take time off. And that, and that time off was, um, uh, three years I was off. I came back to work, uh, just last year, um, in the spring and, um, kind of recognized through my, um, exposure to trauma program services, uh, the ability for myself to heal all the demons, um, to deal with a lot of anger, uh, again, a lot of, uh, exterior trauma, but also at the institutional, the moral, the sanctuary trauma. Mm. Um, I kind of made that commitment to myself to be the, some, to be the person that I needed 10 years ago that might've, uh, been had time away or was known to um, have struggles with their mental health or their feelings. Uh, mm. So often in the services, um, you know, once 
there were were used to the point where we're no longer good. We're deemed broken, almost like a broken toy. Cast aside, and well, we'll go hire. It's better we can go hire somebody else rather than invest in this old one, right? Just hire yeah. the, the shinier new, the new one. Um, and I felt that's all I was going to be was some broken. Um, but when I was coming back to work, um, I, I made that commitment again to myself to be that somebody for somebody else. At the same time, having exposure uh, with Wounded Warriors Canada uh, and their trauma programs that they have for uh, what I thought were just veterans. I thought, well, mm. you know, Wounded Warriors Canada, that's that's for military, that's veterans. Uh, unbeknownst to me, they have a whole host of uh, programs uh, that are open to first responders. So please fire against both uniform um, and civilian correction, they're all open for that, as mm. well as family members as well, right? So that's that's key as well um, to just yeah. highlight the importance of how good these organizations that were there to help me and give back to them. So um, I thought, you know, how what are one ways I could give back well, rather than, you know, keep playing the lottery and thinking I was going to hit big and make a big charity donation that way. Um, I, I, I thought of uh, creating an apparel company um, that was going to be uh, highlighting uh, a focus of mental health uh, to, you know, gain traction and normalizing the conversation to eliminating the stigmas associated with mental health, um, specifically for first responders, and then donate funds uh, to Wounded Warriors Canada to help for their, their programs and services, not just for the members, but again, for the uh, members, families, uh, partners, and um, their, their kids. So that, that's, that's where I was. And um, it, it's feeling pretty good right now. Hmm. Well, the British military recognized that, well, it's it it well, quite a long time ago, the Royal Marines came up with it. Um, and then it was picked up quite a few years ago by the, the army as well. Um, they came in with this uh, trim process, which is trauma incident management. And what they do is um, when you're it, – it's directed primary operations, but it doesn't have to be. It, it just means that if you've been involved in a traumatic incident, then there's a process that you can go through to deal with it. And what happens is 72 hours after an incident – a trim team will come in. There'll be a, a coordinator and some practitioners. They'll look at the incident. Uh, they'll look at the, all the individuals that were involved with it directly or indirectly, and they'll come up with a process of, of who needs, whether they want a, uh, a group, an overall group, to tell them um, that it's okay to not be okay whether they need to, to be in a smaller group or whether they need to be an individual. Um, and, and that's done at the 72-hour point. So, And that's all recorded, and then they'll come back in again in, in sort of 30 days' time and do a follow-up to see if there's anything that's changed, anybody's still struggling with it, anybody's losing sleep, it's constantly on the mind, uh, that sort of thing. And then, and the whole time is that they're being assessed whether they need to to get processed or, or to get signposted on to, to professional help, or whether they they're coping okay with it. And then there's a washout done at the, the three month period um, mm. to see whether everybody's still um, dealing with it and, and, and is comfortable and return to normal. And if they haven't, again, that the process is is that they can be signposted on to, to professional help there was another course that the, the the british military brought in in recent years which is a mental health first aid course and that's directed at the individual to be able to 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 take a, a group of individuals in and to give them the the tool set to to recognize looking after yourself um and and also to recognize in others that uh, that could be suffering from uh, some issues to keeping their, your mental health um, at the forefront to be able to be making more efficient and that's what it's all directed at is is looking after your own mental health and those around you as well and then for for 
for myself as a welfare officer, there, there's a, a place, or used to be a place, I think it's closed now, but called Amport House, which is where um, the, it's a, the chaplain's department in the British Army, where uh-huh. where you go down there and then you get um, care for the carers. So as a welfare officer, we went down there and did this particular course, and it's it's all about looking after the carers of carers. So it's, it's giving you the tools to be able to, to recognise in yourself and into others, and it's a bit more in-depth than the, the mental health first aid course. Um, and that's been rolling out for, for quite a number of years. Um, so it's... It's understanding that doesn't matter how tough somebody is, they can have a problem with uh, issues that they've seen in the past. And that's, that's yeah. pushing forward. Um, destigmatizing mental health issues. It doesn't mean that you're weak or anything like that. It just means that you can struggle just the same as anybody else. Yeah, and that that's the one thing that uh, you know. I think as a as a culture, as a society, we need to to recognize is that you know um, me- the mental health can anyone's prone to it, right? It's not just one demographic, one genre, or whatever. Um, I I know as first responders, we're heightened to be yeah. affected by mental health because um, you know just at the at the level of uh, being exposed daily to traumas more so than general public um, and being the point where uh, if we are struggling, uh, I know something that would, unfortunately was taught to me earlier on that I've been trying to unlearn my entire life is uh, providing myself the, the time and space to feel like what I was dealing with was worthy of my time to, to process, um, mm-hmm. you know, learn behaviors growing up. And I think just from the, the decades that I grew up was, um, anytime you kind of voiced, um, your voice, something that, uh, might've, uh, yeah. been, uh, uh, bothering you, you're always kind of told somebody else has it worse. Right. And I think, um, yeah. getting into group talking about, um, things that are bothering somebody, that's one thing. Um, I want to make sure that I get other people, other first responders out there to know is that you never ever have to earn your chair per se in therapy. You never compare your tease, your trauma, um, your, your trauma has affected you. Um, and it's important. And just because you feel that your trauma doesn't live up to possibly the gun battle of somebody else's, uh, the accumulation of yours is yours. Um, I don't know why at times uh, there were uh, events that I was a part of that I look back at and they're very sad, they're unfortunate, they're horrific, but they didn't affect me the way some other things did, right? Mm. Um, and being somebody who you know is on for 12 hours, off for 12 hours in that uh, capacity of being a first responder, um, we do need to recognize the importance. Again, you know, you brought up that program where people are coming in yeah. um, with uh, after events, but some days you're, those events can be, you have like two or three in one day because it's on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. And um, not really getting that space and time um, to be able to feel that you are allowed to recognize it or even deal with it because it's always push forward, push down. You got to push down. Yeah. You got to push forward. And in times of, of, of battle, in times of work, it's very important that we're able to do that, to get through, because not a lot of people in this world have the abilities that first responders do to run towards gunfire, right? To yeah. push things down from one call and move on to the next horrific event. Um, but when that time comes of addressing it that's when we have to move away just from post or talk just just because we put a poster up to say things are available to actually action it, to make it um applicable to actually make it something that is uh done rather than just spoke about um yeah. 
And uh, that's one thing that um, I am always looking forward uh, to learn, which is organizations and programs that are out there that are doing fantastic things, whether it be just for the military, if there's something for firefighters or nursing or corrections or whoever, if it can help, you know, more than one, that's fine. But at least get the information out there because I love having conversations with people when I get to talk about uh, wounded warriors or uh, Boots on the Ground, which is an organization yeah. um, that's a 24-hour hotline for first responders to almost like a like a like a suicide, not like a suicide, but like a mental health uh, yeah. helpline. Uh, for first responders. For first responders. <laughs> well, these this is all trained, but these are these are all done yeah. by first responders that are trained. Um, so I love having conversations where if I'm talking about this, Tim or whoever is like, I know Boots on the Ground, or I know I know all that. I, I find so much joy in that because then, okay, you know, and I know you're out there saying as much as I am. Cause one thing that I, I dislike and I, I go to the point of hating is, is like talking to somebody about how, how do you not know? How do you not know about this program? Like mm. there's not being done enough. There's not enough being done then to let everyone know that this program's available for you and everything that's available to them if they need it. Um, yeah. And uh, it just keeps me more motivated, more driven to make sure that I'm out there, you know, um, helping the cause uh, and, you know, normalizing those conversations of mental health so that everyone can talk about going to the psychologist as they would uh, telling people that, yeah, I got a, I got a doc, I got a dentist appointment tomorrow, or I got to go to Cairo or physio or whatever. Right. Um, just as normal as those, right. Not feel like it's yeah. a dirty secret that Absolutely. needs to be hid. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I think that needs to start sort of day one, week one, when you go into training, and that has to be instilled 100. right right from day one. Um, so so people coming into the industry know that it's okay to not be okay, and know that it's it's a normal thing that you can you can go forward and seek treatment if you're having difficulties and catching it at the early stages is crucial to 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 dealing with the problem um and i think that's that's where it needs to start it needs to start day one week one in training and it's then out there and 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 particularly for older guys that that have been set in their ways they need to be retrained into to, to that thinking that it's okay to not be okay and the days of suck it up uh, princess are over because yeah it, it, you just it, it can happen to the, the toughest of guys um and it can it, it can affect anybody and everybody and 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 that's where where the training really comes in from from instilling it in from day one week one Right. And then, and like I said, it's not just putting the posters up. It's actually, you know, making it so that if I put that poster up, I'm going to be somebody that if I put that poster up and I say it, that if somebody comes to me, I have, now I have an obligation, right? I have to walk the walk. I just can't talk it. Um, And I think that even if we go back to the collegiate where people are getting into the, uh, the university or college programs to be training to you, be police officer. You have to get hired. You're not hired yet. But you, like I said, when I talk to kids at the collegiate level, are you doing these things now? Because this is a time that you need to do these things now so that when you get hired, when we're exposed to trauma, not if we're exposed to trauma, when yeah. trauma is exposed, because it's, it's going to happen. It's not what if you're able to already go back to that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's so important. And I'm, I'm so happy and proud that uh, somebody like yourself is uh, aligned with that, that thought process because we need yeah. more. Absolutely. Uh, and I've seen it firsthand more than, on more than one occasion. So I've seen the, the trim process in, in a, in a hostile environment being practiced and I've seen it um, at a professional level being a welfare officer dealing with it as well. So it's it's there to be to be used and 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 I think we'll see slightly less problems in the future from from the Afghan days than we have 
from the Falklands days. I mean, we're still getting Falklands veterans with mental health issues. And I think, although it's a, an awful lot more people were involved in the, the, the Afghan campaign, I think the way that it's been dealt with over the years and people have gone through that that trim process, they've gone through that, then then hopefully that's allayed a lot of the the potential issues for, for further down the road. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and hopefully we don't have to see it at, 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 a, at a state of, like, how many wars, right? This stage of yeah. war. Uh, hopefully, you know, people are taking time um, away from war to work on the mental health and that when, you know, traumatic, uh, you know, deployments and stuff are, are done, um you know, we're not looking back in the history of time saying like, well, because of this war, we realized we got better. You know, we don't want, I don't think there's people that want yeah. any war. Um, but, yeah. uh, you know, on, on, on the focus daily is what the, the, uh, the mindset should be. And that's something that I do every day, right? I don't wake up every day and be happy. I wake up every day with a choice because I've acquired tools and resources that I have to implement daily. Cause I know, um, if I'm implementing, you know, strategies and tools and things that I've learned on the daily, I'm better for my kids. Um, and, yeah. uh, and when I don't do those, I'm, I'm drained, I'm exhausted, um, I'm burnt out and I'm no good, not just to myself, but I'm not good to anybody. So really, you know, um, understanding that it's okay to afford ourselves a time and space to recognize that we are important. Um, we need to take the time to work on things that are going to make us well. We can't always be um, at the stage of uh, compassion fatigue where we're always doing for others. We're always doing for others. And every first responder, every military guy is always doing yeah. things for other people. But we need to recognize that, you know, that prehab that goes into uh, your day-to-day -day is as important or more important um, because it makes your rehab um, better, right? That old uh, yeah. ounce of preventative yields a pound of cure. You know, just think if you were to put a pound of preventative in, how much yield you would get that would not absolutely. only help you, but everyone else around you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Look after number one and you can look after everybody else. Yeah, and it's not selfish, you know, and so many times people think that it's it's such a selfish thing to think of yourself first. Um, yeah. And in some cases, you know, maybe they're error. But for the most part, when it comes to your welfare, um, that's something that, you know, we need just to be a little bit better at um, and uh, allow ourselves at the end of the day, if we're reflecting, especially if you're journaling, heads up, journaling is fantastic. I, I recommend yeah. everyone do it. Um, but, you know, one thing that I always do is, you know, put down some things that I can recognize that I didn't do as well as I wanted to do just to recognize it, not to kick my ass over, not to beat myself up. So just so that I can be more mindful that if to, it comes up tomorrow, I'm better prepared. Um, yeah. So that, uh, again, I, I, it's just a recognition recognition um to to one's own um you know goods and goods and bads yeah or i should say bads i should say goods and not as good um you know because we're today 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 you gave your best um and if you if you knew more you would do better but you did the best with what you had with the tools and information you had today and some more you're going to be that one percent better and you know uh when tim and i are talking a year from now I can't wait to see the 365% better Tim um, that that can be because that that's fantastic, right? Like that's when you're getting into like real massive change and um, people think it always has to happen overnight, this instant gratification um, to be better, but it's, it's small. You know, I, I, I knew um, midway point through my healing that, you know, this didn't happen overnight. It wasn't going to be cured overnight. It was going to take some time, but it took me applying and, and, and committing. And uh, I'm at a, a place now where I can feel a, a sense of um, gratitude to the people mm -hmm. that I had on that list that didn't help me because, um, because they didn't help me. It put me in a position where my mental health 
was my full-time job. And I don't think I would be at the point I am today um, feeling the way I am if I had not made a full-time effort. Um, so that's kind of one way I've reframed it. It's not that I, uh, people are forgiven or absolved. Um, it's, you know, it's for myself and, um, it's, it's put me in a better place and that's what, that's, what's important. Puts you in a better place to re-educate those that didn't help in the, in the, in the first place. Had they recognized it in the earlier stages, it wouldn't have gone to, to where it got to. And I think that's that's where the re-education of everybody needs to come in. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like I say, when uh, with the with the apparel and all that I'm doing, um, that's uh, that's something that I'm hoping that people will, you know they're in the state where they're caring about themselves. They're caring about whether it be other first responders. Uh, it could be a, a, you know, a sibling, it could be a partner of a first responder. They, they, they know that uh, they're uh, somebody that acknowledges uh, the importance of mental health and wellness for first responders. And the fact that I can get as many checks uh, to wounded warriors Canada as possible through the fund in raising brilliant well thank you Keith for sharing that I think that's been a really really good chat Tim I can't believe I'm as I'm looking at the clock that we've had more than an hour uh, from you know before we came on and now like it's over an hour of talking like it feels like it's been five minutes but I think a lot of times those are the most (laughs) genuine authentic uh, conversations where time flies and you're having fun Um, but uh, this conversation um, you know can happen on both sides of the pond and uh, I I just want to say I appreciate you having me on and uh, doing what you do and um, talking having these conversations and having all your guests on Uh, to openly talk about this because it's so important. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tim. Have a great day. And you. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.